Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I'm very excited about this episode because I just got done recording with my guest who I have with me today. He had me on his podcast, and we've been connected for a while on Instagram, sending each other messages back and forth, trying to figure out some time to have him on my podcast, go on his podcast, but I want to let you guys know who he is. His name is Jonathan Sharko. He was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder 12 years ago, and he's also an online personal trainer specializing in helping people with bipolar disorder, love the skin they're in, and also manage any unwanted weight gain associated with medications. In addition to this, he also hosts a podcast lifting with bipolar as well. And at the end of the episode, I will go ahead and leave some links for you guys to connect with him on Instagram, as well as his website. So Jonathan, thank you so much for joining today. I can't wait to get into your story. Yeah, no, thank you very much, Paris, for having me on. And uh, what an excellent uh, introduction. I'm just uh, <laughs> just excited to be here and yeah, talk a little talk with you. And I love your podcast, love your book. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you on my podcast just a few minutes ago. And um, it's nice to be on yours today. So thank you for having me on. Of course. I know. I know we've been trying to plan this and I know we got into a little bit on your podcast as well mm-hmm. with just the the busyness of this past year for me, but I really am excited to talk with you because Something that we just got done talking about you guys on Jonathan's podcast is he mentioned to me about a lot of the things that he resonates with that I talk about in my book when it comes down to living with bipolar disorder. And something that I really love about him is I told him this before we hit record is I've never interviewed somebody on the podcast and I've done, you guys can see like over 170 episodes and I've never had someone on here who also lives with bipolar, has a diagnosis, but they are a personal trainer working with people who also have a diagnosis and helping them tying in that component of the weight gain that can be associated with medications and really being able to leverage that. So I'd love to ask you, how did you start your journey into fitness and how did you determine that you wanted to help people with bipolar in that area? Yeah, well, my my journey kind of started off. I I really want to kind of thank my grandfather for this. Um, he kind of laid the groundstone, like kind of for uh, like health and wellness. Um, he was a bodybuilder himself. He kind of um, took me to the gym and got me introduced to weights along with my older brother. Um, just kind of growing up and things like that, and then just kind of fell in love with the weight room. Growing up, um, playing a little bit of football, kind of eventually falling in love with playing basketball and athletics. Um, it didn't get diagnosed until. Um, about 23 years old, which is, in my opinion, and from the research, is a pretty common age that are young, you know, adolescents to be being diagnosed with a mood disorder. So, um, after that, I just kind of really discovered the the medication route of, you know, medications are, in my opinion, necessary to kind of manage this mood disorder. I know a lot of people don't take medications and they're able to do that and to each their own. But in my in my in my experiences, medications has been a necessary way to kind of manage my mood disorder. And with that, you know, it comes weight gain as, as, a, as a side effect. Um, some medications, you can um, have less less weight gain, some more weight gain. But um, just kind of through that, I just really found out that um, it's it's okay to kind of go through weight gain. It's kind of, um, it's just sometimes a part of the weight gain. It's just, come, 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 uh, sorry, it's just a, a part of the journey. But um, I found out like loving your body is a, is a good way to um, just kind of accept the body that you're in. But um, through, I through, I really found through like resistance training through like lifting weights, you can really, 
um, manage your body composition, really manage your health, you know, getting your blood taken, um, managing like your cholesterol and some of those biomarkers with like the health of a physician, keeping your eye on some other like um, kind of health indicators that way you can really stay healthy. But um, I really kind of fell in love with kind of fitness and thing like, things like that well before I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then kind of came on my diagnosis. And it just so happened that uh, kind of falling in love with fitness was actually a good thing for me to kind of manage my bipolar disorder as well. So. Wow. I love how you get into the history of it with, especially with your grandfather, you talk about being a bodybuilder growing up the athletic history of that with basketball, football. And then I think that what really is exciting too, is you talk about your diagnosis. So you say you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 23. And then Mm -hmm. a part of that too, that goes along with it that I really love is how you talk about incorporating exercise, you talk about the resistance training, because a big part of it that you mentioned is the medications. And for you, I feel the same way too. I know people who are able to not take medication or whatever the the situation is. But for me, I know that that's what I do is I have medication that I take. So I know that that was something that I dealt with as well with just, you know, in the past, like different medications, symptoms, like weight gain, lack of motivation, not being on my exercise routine at all. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to kind of get into for you. So once you got your diagnosis, you say you were 23 years old. So walk me through, how did you feel initially when you heard those words, you have diagnosis of bipolar? Oh, it's not me. That's not me. It can't be me. It can't be true. When I, when I was first diagnosed, um, it was like, this can't be true. This makes diagnosis. Um, because at the time I was in college and I was using a lot of substances. I was smoking marijuana. I was using cocaine. I was, um, popping mollies, taking ecstasy, doing a lot of drugs. You know, I was living the college party life. So in my reasoning, I was like, this is all the substances I was using. This is why I was talking fast, why I wasn't sleeping, why I was having grandiose ideas, why I was um, all the kind of the symptoms in the DSM-5. That was kind of my counterpoint to the doctor, the psychiatrist at the time. I was like, this is why it was. this was a drug-induced psychotic uh, psychotic event that had happened. So um, that's why I kind of pushed back and didn't take the medications. Um, and then within a couple months was hospitalized again for another psychotic episode and manic episode. And then um, it really took me a couple years of kind of going through that same cycle, you know, same cycles of having these uh, manic episodes, and then really kind of having to understand that I have to. Uh, there has to be a different way. I can't, you know, the definition of insanity is you, you know you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. But um, that's when I kind of first had to find sobriety, um, and then kind of take the medications and really just give it an honest opportunity for the medications to work, for the sobriety to work, because there's such a high percentage of people who who live with bipolar disorder, who live with a mental illness, who also have a, a substance abuse issue. So, and I was one of those statistics. I was one of those people who was uh, self self medicating with substances substances and uh, not really kind of living a sober lifestyle. So, um, it's my my from my initial so my initial reaction to when I got diagnosed was no, this wasn't me. It was just a substance issue, a substance induced uh, mental state. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until years later when I finally got sober that I could kind of um, part through some of the clouds and be like, okay, maybe I should give these medications a chance. And kind of to fast forward to the end, like I haven't had an episode for quite some time now. And I think that's a direct link now because of my sobriety. So I love that you touch on that because 
especially hearing you give the history. So talking about being in college and saying marijuana, cocaine, Molly, all these drugs, the drinking, the partying, all these things. And really when you got the diagnosis, turning around and saying, no, this is substance induced. This is from the drugs and the partying. Like this isn't me Mm -hmm. and kind of separating you and yourself from the diagnosis of it's on this and not me. But I love hearing you talk about that because that really reminds me of myself and my experience. I was diagnosed at 19, but I went through the same thing, like distracting with, you know, going out a lot of drinking, a lot of partying instances with cocaine and different things like that. So, and yeah, Molly ecstasy, all that stuff. And just really being able to cut, cut that out. And I'd love to hear, cause I know you mentioned, you said a few years later, you were able to get sober and then the clouds kind of shifted and you were able to, to kind of see the benefits of you know, making these changes and and getting into taking the medications. So when were you able to get to that point? Uh, So obviously it's a journey, right? So identifying here's kind of the issue, what I'm struggling with. I want to make the decision to get sober. So you talk about 23 and then what age were you when you finally reached that mark of confidently going through that process and being able to take the next steps in living with bipolar in a successful way? Yeah, I'll never forget it. I was actually in handcuffs uh, in front of a judge who was saying, hey, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. You can either spend the next five years um, in a jail cell or I can give you five years of probation and you're going to get drug tested and you're going to go to court ordered, uh, you know, um, counseling and you're going to go through um, an assisted outpatient treatment program. Um, So that was kind of a I had a manic episode and you know, during the mania, I said some violent things. I, I didn't uh, physically harm anybody, but um, I was in a manic state. And I, I have no problem being open and honest and transparent with these things and kind of destigmatizing some of this stuff. But uh, I was in a manic episode. I, I made some threats. I said I was going to harm some people. It was family members who I said I was going to, you know, um, harm. And uh, they contacted the authorities. They had every right to, and they did They did the right thing. We're, you know, fast forward today. Today, we're we still break bread together. We still spend holidays together. We're close together. We've put that behind us and their understanding, but um, they contacted the authorities. They said, Hey, um, I feel like Jonathan's on the right state of mind. He's texting us saying he's going to hurt us. And the authorities kind of found me. They put me in jail. And then I uh, fast forwarded, I was in front of a judge and he said, Hey, look, um, you didn't really give us a choice here. You've, you made threats. Um, you have a history of being violent when you're manic. Um, what, what do you want to do here? Do you want to go to jail? for five years, you want to have a felony on your record, or do you want to go to probation? I said, please give me probation. I'll do whatever it takes. Um, they said, all right, you're going to be sober for five years. No more marijuana, no more ecstasy. Um, you're going to go to these counseling sessions. You're going to be having a nurse assigned to you. You're going to take your medications. Um, we're going to test you. We're going to make sure you're going to this stuff. You're going to be, uh, living in a, you're going to be, we're going to pay for your rent for a couple months. You're going to get a job. You're going to have to get your life shaped up. And, you know, that's honestly was the, the my last choice, my last, uh, my last resort. So um, I had no contact with my family for about a year. I was kind of on my own here um, living in Reno, Nevada. Um, yeah. So it, I learned the hard way. <laughs> I didn't really have a, a, a you know, a firm kind of, uh, or a, a way I've kind of always learned things the hard way. So, but luckily I really did turn things around that way. It was really the best thing that happened to me was, was kind of going through there, sitting in a jail cell, looking around me and saying, um, while I was in jail, I was, uh, in like the mental health kind of ward. And I was looking around, like looking at these people who were in and out of, in and out of jail. I was, uh, I didn't necessarily have the money for bond or for bail at the time. So I was, I spent about nine months waiting for my court date in jail, um, in like 23 hour lockdown. It was kind of traumatic. That's kind of where I picked up my PTSD diagnosis later on was sitting in that jail cell. But 
when you're sitting in the jail cell, you have a lot to think about. And I was like, I, this can't be my life. I, I don't want to be using drugs anymore. I don't want to be going through this up and down with this manic episodes and some of those things. I want to, um, I have so much potential. I was really close to graduating college. And um, yeah, I was like, this is kind of the dark side of the mental illness. I don't want to be another statistic living in the uh, criminal justice system. So I made it a mission to take it seriously when I got out of when I got out in front of the judge I said I'll take this seriously I'll uh, squeeze every single benefit out of this program and uh sure enough I did I went to every counseling session um took advantage of that took every medication I could um and sure enough yeah I graduated the program uh, got off probation got a clean record and uh yeah I really took it turned it around and yeah it's I mean I could could sugarcoat it and say I did it all on my own but um I had a lot of uh, really good support here from the people who work for the state and um, a lot of good uh, people who were firm and disciplined me and uh, kind of had my last chance there. So um, there's no going back there. So I feel like, <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of what my story was, to be honest with you. Wow. So just to hear you get into the, you talk about the choice of the judge giving you that option of you're either going to go to jail for five years, probation. And I love how you bring up the fact of being another statistic and you talk about being in jail for those nine months and seeing people going in and out, coming back out and sitting there thinking, you know, could I, is this going to be my life? Am I going to be this person? I'm so close to graduating college. I'm close to finishing this goal that I have for myself. Am I going to ever do that? Am I going to let this continue to stay in the way? How do I do it? And I like how you say that it's not easy. It wasn't easy. Cause I feel like sometimes maybe listening to this, you can think, Oh, okay, cool. Like he had a choice and they gave you the counselors, the medications, the testing and sober living, and they're going to pay for your rent. Okay. That seems pretty good, but you have to be able to commit and do the work and stay consistent and make the choice of I'm not going to keep putting myself in these situations over and over and over again to keep ending back up here, keep ending back up in jail. And I like how you really paint that scene of what it looked like to be standing there in handcuffs and saying, this is the reality. This is really what it's coming down to. And how old were you in that moment mm -hmm. when you were standing in front of the judge? I was 30 years old. Yeah. I just okay. turned, I, I turned 30 in June of that year. And then it was, it was about September, October when I was in front of the judge, um, that time. So, and you're 35 now. Uh, yeah, I'm 35 now. So, mm -hmm. uh, recently, yeah, I just got off probation. I had just graduated college from the, here in the university of Nevada, Reno. So I, yeah, because my diagnosis, um, my diagnosis, I was 23. It was my, it was my final semester of college when I got diagnosed. My senior year of college, I was uh, 12 credits graduating. Uh, I was 12 credits away from graduating. Um, it was about September, October when I had my when I had my episode. It was too late to withdraw, um, to do a clean withdrawal. I just uh, had my episode. Um, at that time, I also was it's just for some reason when I have these episodes, I just get really uh, my symptoms are just get to be really violent and really manic and, and just say really outlandish things and say I'm going to harm people. And that was the first time I was in jail up at up at Park Boulevard here in Reno. Um, yeah. And then I wasn't again, I didn't have the money. That's just another I know, thing about the criminal justice systems. If you don't have the money for bail, you're, you're stuck there. So I was stuck there for a couple months in jail the first time around. And so um, that kind of delayed my my ability to get out. Um, and then, yeah, I just was, got out of there the first time. And then it was like, I had to get out of Reno, um, things happened and you, I didn't really have a chance to come back and finish, but, um, ended mm -hmm. up coming back. And while, while I was on probation, I was able to take classes, you know, I took one or two classes at a time and, um, it was kind of a bittersweet moment. It was kind of a full circle moment. Like while I was on probation, I was finishing these classes and graduating. And so, um, it was, it was kind of a sweet, it's kind of a sweet moment. It was really well-earned and I was, you know, I actually cried kind of the day I graduated cause it was like, 
about three or four months before I got off probation, got released. And then um, four months later, you know, um, in the next spring, I graduated from UNR with my degree in public health or community health sciences and um, kind of checked everything off I wanted to do and um, got my certification from uh, the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association with personal training and um, kind of was like really ready to turn the next chapter and really start fresh and kind of make, create my own lifestyle. So I create a new life for myself. So that's amazing. And again, congratulations too, because that is not even easy just to one, go through that transition and be open about it and very honest and say, look, like I was in a situation where when I was in these episodes, I did say violent things and I did make mm-hmm. threats to family members and I did make these and I, I did this. So for one, to even be able to admit that and say that this was how I was at one point in my life, but then also to continue and and do what you were on the course to do, which is graduate, get your degree. And then also on top of that, go out and pursue the certification for personal training and to make that decision to really do that and get back in with your passion. So something else I'd love to ask you too, is I know you mentioned earlier in the episode, when you were first diagnosed, you said, no, this isn't me. This is drug induced. This is because of the substances. Did you ever have a moment where you shifted and, and started to think this, this is something that I can have control over or did, or once you went through the, like being able to complete that five-year probation, you said three to four months after you came off probation, you graduated from college. So was Mm -hmm. there a shift or something in you that changed that allowed you to be able to, to do what you do now, or you have this podcast and you're talking about bipolar disorder training how did that how were you able to transition from that person who was saying no this isn't me it's drug induced to where you are now where you literally turn this completely around to be able to help people who have a diagnosis and train them and give them these resources i think it, i think it all came down to like baby steps just like accomplishing small kind of milestones you know it's really um if I didn't really just get here overnight. It just started off with like small things, like even on a day-to-day basis, like from day one, from getting out of, uh, getting out of jail on a probation, it was like, okay, first thing I'm going to do is like, I'm just going to make my bed every day. I'm just going to go on a walk every day. I'm just going to start eating healthy every day. Uh, I'm going to show up to my appointments every day. I'm going to hold myself accountable every day. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just do small things and and hold myself, uh, you know, achieve what I can achieve in what's what I have, what I have in control of, you know, focus on what I have in control of every day. And the more responsibility I get, then the more then I can control that. And then I'm going to get a job and I'm going to show up early and I'm going to do the best I can. You know, the first job I got out was, you know, I was working in a fast food restaurant and some of those things, then I'm going to do the best job I can there. And then I'm going to get a better job. I'm going to work, I'm going to work retail for a holiday season. And then I'm going to do the best job. You know, I, all I had was a bus pass at the time. I'm going to take the bus and I'm going to get a gym membership and I'm going to go to the gym and I don't care. I'm going to, I'm not going to make any excuses and, you know, and it's uh it's winter time in Reno. I'm going to walk in the snow and get to get to where I got to go. I'm going to get to my classes on time and, and you know, and, um, and, <laughs> and just baby steps. And then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for one class and I'm going to do my homework and I'm going to get to the library and I'm, it's just, it just, just baby steps and things like that. And it's just like, once I pass one class and then the next semester, it's like, okay, I can, I can take one class, you know, maybe I can take two classes and then, and then, you know, I'm going to get a little bit of financial aid and now I'm going to get a cell phone. I'm going to, I'm going to get from a, I'm going to go from a prepaid cell phone to a real cell phone and I'm going to get a laptop and then, uh, and now I'm going to get a microphone and now I'm going to get a podcast going. And now it's like, it just kind of all kind of builds on top of one another. It wasn't like, as soon as I got out of of jail, it's like, I'm going to get a podcast and I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to get a certification. It was just like, it all kind of came in baby steps and Mm kind of grew on top of one another. But um, it just, it was just like a momentum thing. Like it was like, what can I do today to get some momentum? And then, uh, 
I'll never forget. Like, I want to give a big shout out to like my brother. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this podcast or kind of find out. I hope he does, but he wrote me a very like encouraging letter and he sent me a, a little care package of like some resistance bands. He's like, Hey man, he's like, I know you just got out, but I want to send you a little care package. I wanted to give you some resistance bands to work out in your apartment, in your studio apartment. He's like, I know you don't have access to a gym. You've always been in love with working out, but here's some resistance band and like a door hook. And he's like, I know you can get a lot done with these and you're so creative and um, just go ahead mm -hmm. and get back to the the Jonathan that we all know and love and, and to get back in shape and to get healthy and things like that. So um, that's kind of like the same thing I tell my clients who really maybe don't have access to a gym or maybe have some social anxiety about getting outside. Like there's a lot you can do within like, you know, the, the circumstances that you do have and the things you do have access to right here and now. So. Wow. I love that you mentioned uh, talking about your brother and how he sent out that letter, that care package, because I feel like that's something that makes a world of a difference. First of all, to go through getting a diagnosis, hospitalization, the probation, and then struggling with all of that in one and, you know, creating that divide that you talk about not seeing your family for over a year, but having someone to reach out and just check in and have that belief in you that I feel like for me is huge because, you know, I've been lucky to have a few of those people in my life, especially when I was at my lowest moments too, who still were doing those little things. And I love that you talk mm -hmm. about the baby steps and doing that to build momentum and how it didn't all start at once because this was over like over a five-year period, right? You yeah. guys. Yeah. So it wasn't like, all of a sudden, you know, you did this and you, you went through this for five years being on probation, you know, having that period of, you know, I was 12 credits away from graduating college and now boom, hit with this diagnosis, hospitalization, all of these things that are happening, but then being able to say, I started out with, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to try to eat healthier. And it kind of builds and builds and builds. And I feel like hearing you say that really reminds me a lot of my own experience with, you know, if I think about the past five years of my life, right. When I really started doing this work, that's really how it started for me of like, I want to just go on a walk. I want to like go back to the gym. I want to, you know, maybe learn some new recipes or, and then even how you mentioned, I'm going to start the podcast and, you know, I'll, I'll try to look into getting some equipment, microphone, different things, like what I want to do for this. It starts really like that, like a ripple effect almost. And I like how you, mm -hmm. how you were able to kind of describe the momentum that was able to progress from all that. And even what you said too, about clients that you're working with. So clients that you're working with, who you talk about bringing in with having social anxiety, and I don't feel like I can go into a gym. I don't, or I don't have access to going into a gym. I don't have a membership. I don't have any of that, but even if I did, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I love that the, the, that brings so much value to me because if I were to go to my gym and I knew that there was a trainer there who was open about, Hey, I have a bipolar diagnosis and they understand you and they understand that. And I really like how you are open about that because there's many people who I have been able to speak to who do the same thing and they're in the same personal training area, but they don't, maybe they don't have a diagnosis of bipolar. So it's not like they're not going to be able to help out in the same way, in the same capacity. But for you, that might be something that, that really stands out for somebody who is looking like they don't even know where to start. Right. So if you had a client that either you were starting to work with, how do you typically begin the process of being able to help them get to those goals that they're wanting to get to? Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, I, I do a lot of listening, to be honest with you. I kind of like to get to know them and see like what kind of what their background is, what kind of experience they have in the gym, outside the gym. Um, I do like, I try to be more like a peer support kind of a specialist. Um, 
not, I think, um, just really kind of getting to understand them before I build a program out for them. I don't do any like kind of cookie cutter programs. Um, some of some of my clients, all they have is experiences with machines. Um, some of them prefer to use dumbbells. Some of them like depending on what kind of equipment they have, maybe like cable cables or bands at home. Um, I have another client who's really experienced with barbells, but um, it just depends on what kind of uh, kind of equipment they have comfortability with, kind of confidence with, and then we can kind of go from there. It's just um, really just depends on what kind of uh, experience they have, previous experience with it in the gym, or maybe if it fits at home. But um, I can really really kind of create a really good program for them, whether it's at home in the gym, and then just really kind of what equipment they have access to as well. So. Yeah. I like how you bring it down to listening. So you talk about doing a lot of listening, identifying what they're comfortable, comfortable with what their Mm -hmm. experience has been like, and then also peer support. I love that you throw that in there as well, because for me, that that's something that makes a difference. Cause I know like I, when I worked with trainers before that really meant a lot to me of having that peer support. Cause I know, I remember one time like showing up to a session and just like crying, like being in tears. And then the person that I was working with was like, look, like I want you to to go home and took the time to listen, took the time to talk through it because that's the thing is knowing your clients better than they know themselves sometimes, because I feel like I went into that. I'm like, I'm just going to go through, I'm just going to stay here and do the work anyway. And it's like, she knew like, look, like I know that this, this would be, this is what I I'm hearing. And just being able to do that, that really meant a lot to me. And I still remember that, like, it was like years and years and years ago and it still stays with me. So I feel like, you know, like you probably have so many people who can say the same thing of, you know, like hearing you pull in, not just that peer support part, but then also helping them put a plan together that is in alignment with how to get to their goals and kind of how to make that work. So I really think that that makes so much of a difference, especially working with someone in the capacity of fitness training, who has experience and is openly saying, I have bipolar diagnosis as well. Mm-hmm. And being able to connect on that level, because that's not something that I've ever been able to see before. And it really brings me to something else that I want to, that I want to ask you too. If you could share with me the first thing that comes to mind for you, when you think about what it means to live well bipolar for you, what does that look like? This is a great question. And I want to say it just means knowing like living without limits, just being limitless. Um, I feel like so many people live when sometimes when they get their first diagnosis, it feels like they have to live within a certain bubble. I think living well bipolar means you're just living without, without any boundaries. You can live your life with to the fullest potential. You can live well, um, just like anybody else. Um, and I feel like I live by bipolar because I can live with so many emotions, but such a wide range of emotions. I can really touch and be so more, I can be so empathetic. I can love deep, love deeply. I can cry harder than anybody. Um, I can feel such a wide range of emotions and I can be so artistic, so creative, um, so business savvy um, and just really be such a good question because it just feels like I can just be boundless and just so creative and so imaginative and just, there's really no limit to this stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I kind of want to say to live being living well, but with bipolar disorder. I love that because especially when you hit on that part of living with no limits, li- like not within the boundaries and confines and the bubble of what we think with bipolar, because I feel like often when you think about bipolar disorder, we think about the disability that comes with it, the limits that come with it, the obstacles, things that you won't be able to do. And obviously that's part of it, right? It's not like we're discounting it and saying, no, none Mm -hmm. of that exists, but really knowing yourself so well to be able to say, I can still be successful 
mm -hmm. I can still create a life that I love and that I'm happy and that I'm thriving in and that I'm allowing others to do the same. And that's exactly what you're doing and what you've done. So I feel like that answer is means so much to me too, because, you know, when we talk about these limits, there's so many limits that I feel like I've heard myself that, you know, when I went back and I worked at the hospital or where I was a patient at, I would see people in the system put limits on the people coming in for, you know, my appointments, my medications, or, you know, this person's not going to be able to do this or just those expectations that you put on people. But yeah. I think it's really impressive that you've been able to strip that away and say, yeah, I have this diagnosis and I, I have this diagnosis of bipolar. Um, I take medications. I prioritize my exercise, my health. I've gone through a lot in terms of past traumas, hospitalizations, jail, probation, like a lot of those complications that you had in the past, but really being able to take and set all that aside and say, I'm still able to live without limits and really create that and turn it around and say how creative you are and how the, the ability to feel those emotions that so many of us turn off and neglect and really look down on and say, that's a weakness. If you're crying or that's a weakness, if you're talking about your diagnosis, but really just being able to see that as a strength and that that's not something that you are running from. It's something that you're running towards to be able to give your clients the, the access to these tools that you've been able to put together. So I really love that. And I really, really love this conversation and just being able to talk with you. It was so great as well, just being a guest on your podcast right before we recorded this one. And then now being able to come out and just really dive into your story and all of the stuff that you outlined for us today. But I want to ask too, where can people go once we get off here to connect mm -hmm. with you? Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on your episode and really having a chance to kind of share my story. And um, people can really connect with me on Instagram uh, at my name. It's just at Jonathan Sharko, uh, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-S as in Sam, Z as in Zebra, A-R-K-O. And uh, JonathanSharko.com is my website. Uh, feel free to just check out my page, explore my page, uh, or shoot me a DM or just check out my website. And yeah, I look forward to connecting with people in the mental health space and just anybody who's interested in some coaching or anything like that. So yeah, thanks again for having me on Paris. Of course. And yeah, you guys, I will have all that down below for you to go connect with Jonathan. And yeah, I definitely urge you to do so. He is an incredible resource with content. But when you talk about health and fitness and exercise and tying in bipolar, he has so much information and knowledge on that. So it's definitely been a resource that I love to leverage. So I will put that down below for you guys as well. And again, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really have enjoyed putting it together and I hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have enjoyed creating it for you. So I want to thank you guys for being here and I want to thank Jonathan again for coming on. So bye Jonathan. Bye-bye. Take care.